Hi everyone, I'm Sarah. And I'm Teresa, and you are listening to the Mother Days podcast. Woohoo! Welcome to the show. (laughs) Guys, we're so excited. We have such a special human with us today. Um, This ladybird friend of ours is not only a mother, but she has about, uh, would you say like 47 other Mm -hmm. jobs other than being a mom? (laughs) She's an entrepreneur. She's an environmentalist. She's an activist. She's a freelancer a writer a photographer she owns many mm-hmm. farm animals um she's an inspirer right. i think she's, she yeah she's, she's a, a she's a farmer <laughs> she's she's a really good My hair most title <laughs> she's a really good hair braider uh she's great at being a sister wife she's really good at cooking lentils she also makes random bread um she is uh <laughs> she's great Quirkle at queen. She's a quirk. She's a quirk. She's a quirk. <laughs> when she was like 13 or 14 years old, she wrote a script that became a huge success. Um, and now she has her career has been wild and crazy and she's done so many things. Guys, welcome to the show. Nikki Reed. You, you. Hi. That was the most um, <clears throat> flattering <laughs> an extensive intro I've ever heard. I took away farmer, um, baker of random bread, and I threw in Quirkle myself. It's a very important title. Um, oh, so I want to make sure that slid in. <laughs> I mean, we left out the part where you've actually been a vampire too. So, Oh, goodness. Yeah, that one. That decade-long thing. I want to hear about that for a second. Can we hear about oh, goodness. that for a second? What was that? <laughs> what in the actual hell? Okay. <laughs> what was that like to transition from being, to you know, you're a person in the film industry. You've obviously you're in Thirteen, and um, that had such amazing critical success. And wrote it. A, and you wrote it. Um, it's such a brilliant movie. And then you get cast. This little script comes your way, and then you get cast in this thing called Twilight. Um, uh, <laughs> did you have any idea, any idea what was about to change for you? Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Think of all that cash back on those overpriced kombuchas. Nerd Wallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today that future you will thank you for. With Nerd Wallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. Nerd Wallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cashback? A splurge on some fancy champagne with the gals or order fine dining to the house and watch a good true crime doco. Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mm. First of all, I can't even continue this without saying I love you guys' podcast voices so much. Oh, this is my favorite when we sneak. Yeah, and I like do it we have a lot. Podcast voices? <laughs> totally, and I like it a lot. Or maybe I'm just closing my eyes, going like, "This is what it's going to sound like when I have <laughs> yeah. two girls. They're already in my head and in my dreams, and now they're going to be coming through my phone. Oh, it's yeah. perfect. <clears throat> it's such a good combo. I like it. I'm like, mm, take notes. Hey. So, I am Nikki Reed, and let me tell you what it was like in Twilight. Um, you know, it's funny. It's like, a, it's like a whole chapter of life that for a long time felt so consuming you could, like, never see out of it. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, I almost don't remember it um, because, well, well, there are a lot of things you don't remember after you have a child. It's like life didn't exist before, you, That's right. before kids. Um, you know, I... None of us knew what it was going to become, and I remember the first moment I realized it was going to be something. It was, um, I don't know the exact timeline, but it was the very first Comic-Con, and I think only Rob won, or possibly Rob and Kristen, um, but I just remember uh, watching the news on the television. <laughs> oh, boy. Whoa. And yeah, no tablet, no iPhone, watching the news on the TV, and seeing this shot of like a car pulling up and Rob getting out at this very first Comic-Con for Twilight. And there were, there was a sea of girls and they were all screaming his name. And this was like this (laughs) tiny little film we made, this tiny little film. And we were like, oh gosh, it would be so cool if a few people would like maybe go see this so we could make a second or a third one. Because at the time we knew it had the potential to become a trilogy. Little did we know it would be five films over the course of you know, three quarters of a decade or more of our life. And, um, and so I just remember him getting out of the car and all these girls were screaming. And my first thought was like, are they, are they screaming Edward Cullen? Like they know his name in the, in the movies. <laughs> we might make another one of these. <laughs> that was the moment. And then oh there was no, no turning back. Yeah. If we had been friends back then, I would have told you after I read all the books in like a weekend that uh, (laughs) it was going to be massive. (laughs) Awesome. You could have been my crystal ball. I could have been your crystal ball. Uh, But, (laughs) you know. You could have told me to maybe fight harder for a better wig in the first movie because we might make a second or a third. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that that wig was incredible. It was incredible. It was was a really interesting shade. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite part was that like every film, and I have such appreciation for um, hair and makeup and every department, but it was just very interesting to see that with each film, every director, because we had different directors, wanted to bring in a different hair and makeup team, and they all wanted to make a different wig, and it was sort of like this interesting, like, but wait, you guys know that it's still one character throughout all these, so if you change our hair color every time with a different wig, it might... (laughs) I just remember by the last one fighting so hard and being like, can't I wear the wig from the film before I really like that color? Oh, my goodness. Sorry. Did you hear Winter? Winter? (laughs) She actually, actually, the door, 
the door just opened and Naked Winter was standing there and she came up to the bed. I'm in the guest room right now. And she comes to the bed and she goes, poo-poo potty, poo-poo potty. And I was like, <laughs> where's dad? You know, and then, <laughs> and then Eric's like ran in. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, this is a common so, theme. So, so we had a few interruptions. Yeah, this is a common theme on this podcast. I, I know. I just wanted to ask um, because I feel like people want to know on an emotional level, um, what is it like to be thrust into that level of um, just the public having such an obsession and a fascination into your life and just as a young person, were you you were probably in your early 20s, were you, when that happened? Yeah, I was 19 when we started. You were 19. I just feel like that's such an impressionable age. What is that like to have your world sort of flipped upside down like that and then be in the public eye in such an intense way? You know, we were a part of this, like, revolution with technology. We were right in that moment of time where the lives of, you know, celebrities, if you will, the weirdest word, (laughs) went from being this, like, thing that everybody wanted to, like, cover and put you in a bubble and, you know, the outside world was kept out to the transition of life devices, social media technology, Twitter, Instagram, you know, this almost like we have to put our lives out there type of thing. I remember, um, I think it was the second or third film. I can't remember which one. Um, there was like a notice passed around set where everyone was talking about how no one could if you were going to download this thing called Twitter, like no one could post anything <laughs> about if you were going to do that, just don't, you can't involve the film, the cast, the characters, no secrets, no behind the scenes photos, nothing could be revealed. And at the time there was like a cast member or two that maybe downloaded that app. <laughs> and it was like, oh, he has that app. <laughs> like, like watch out. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Like make sure nothing's going to be put on that app you know, the studio, everyone was so protective. Mm -hmm. And then cut to here we are so many years later and just to see like how the industry transitioned and how, um, you know, people have very much embraced putting their lives out there in a different way. And I think for me, it's just always been very counterintuitive, um, which is why I transitioned out of that industry into sort of carving a different path for myself where I felt like I could still connect to art and I could still connect to people and I could still fuel all the, all those like creative holes in my body where I needed to like, you know, I wanted to nurture that still. But I didn't ever feel comfortable because of that experience. Um, you know, I had two very vulnerable experiences that bookended my entire career, which was, you know, the writing or co-writing of a film that was um, – autobiographical, if you will, although that term, we can, you know, dissect that later, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you will, um, to this other, you know, moment in time, which was like this sort of cultural phenomenon in a way, you know, it was like this, mm-hmm. um, it was really hard to describe. I think that that hadn't really been uh, seen in, in a long time, if not decades. And I just... I was really uncomfortable with that level of um, sort of feeling like your life could be a part of a narrative that you were so disconnected from. Um, 
And also, you know, with the genre world, that brings along with it some very specific things that we don't have to go into now. And while I have tremendous appreciation and tremendous appreciation and gratitude for the experience, and I wouldn't take it back, I wouldn't change it, I would do it a million times over again um, because I am where I am on this path, uh, you know, because of all of it, I, I definitely... Um, I definitely wouldn't know how to like prepare myself for what that would bring. Was. Yeah. For what that was. You know, and it was a time where like journalists and, you know, online bloggers who I don't need to name, but we all know all of them at the time, I would say in the like, you know, 2005 to 2000, you know, 15 yeah. range, like really ruled the media. Yeah. It was a time where we could say things and do things to young women that we simply can't do now. And I remember, you know, because I had like dark hair and dark features and I played these sort of darker characters. And even in Twilight, I played the character who kind of like went against the the love story, right? So I watched how the world perceived me as a person as the evolution and journey of that character unfolded. And once she was a more likable character, you know, let's say book four and five, where you started to really understand like her, her reason for resenting Bella, the main character, and her longing to have a normal life and her longing to have a child she never got to have. And like, once you started to humanize that character, I as a person became more humanized to the public and even to the media. But prior to that moment, you know, I remember like, some of these major online bloggers, I think I was maybe 20 or 21 years old, and I'll, I'll never forget, you know who I'm talking about, but somebody yeah. writing like, you know, I know this is like a parent podcast, so I'll watch my words, but they wrote the word whore across my face and put like mm-hmm. white things like coming, like off yeah. my, like coming out of my mouth, dripping off my face. And I remember being like, how can we make like a blanket statement when I I hadn't done what I was like being accused of doing. Sorry, we went on like a dark rabbit hole, but I guess the point of this is just that you weren't in control of your life or how like the public perceived you. And we didn't have these devices where now you like correct things or share yeah. things that you want to share or humanize yourself in a different way. That's right. And even the how podcast world where like, it was a very, very interesting time to be a part of like such a crazy cultural explosion, I guess was sort of the point of that. And, and now, 10 years later, you, the, a lot of the things that were done to all of the cast, you know, in the, in the public or media or whatever, you actually couldn't do now to mm-hmm. women. Yeah. And in such a short period of time, we've watched that transition. So anyway. That sounds <laughs> Sorry, that like, like very... No, that was exactly what I wanted you to touch on because I can't imagine how isolating and confusing and upsetting and just like I would find that terrifying. I would find it really uncomfortable. And I've read a lot of articles from um, quite a number of the cast from that show and everyone has their own way of describing those exact um, and would you say that, you know, Sarah and I talk about, we find it so interesting that you have such a successful career in the performing arts and you're this amazing actor and so captivating on screen. 
um, yet you decided to pivot. You are. You're so beautiful on screen. Um, I've always loved your work and I've always been inspired by the authenticity that you bring to your characters. And I'm equally as fascinated about this pivot. So you would you say that that experience for you being thrust into that world that you didn't really have much control of, did that plant the seeds in you for wanting to switch gears and take a different road? I think I've always just wanted something more and not that being, not that having one career isn't enough. It is enough, um, absolutely enough. And not that, you know, being an actor wasn't enough. Um, I think for, for many people it is. Um, so it's not like I, you know, I can't justify it in any way except saying that I really feel like I've always had this like longing for exploration and like creative exploration within myself. I mean, even in between shooting all of those films, um, you know, I remember there were moments where I was missing like major awards things or like, you know, magazine cover meetings and things like that. And I just remember, you know, in between each film, I moved out of, certainly out of the state, but if not out of the country to go do other things, to go learn other languages, to um, just see the world through a different lens. And that was just part of my longing and desire for my own personal growth and journey. And I just, maybe it's because I started so young in this business. Um, I've never had a conventional path in any way. I, I always sort of found my own, my own way towards things. And I followed my intuition and I followed my desire and I followed and it wasn't always the right thing right like I made a lot of really wrong decisions too but I just went where I felt I was called to go and I've done that in my life and I've done that in my career and I um, maybe I don't know what the turning point was but maybe it was six years ago or something like that as it was time for me to you know think about raising a child in this world and what kind of you know, life I wanted to create for that child. Um, maybe it was a combination of being a part of, you know, such a wild moment in time and in, in entertainment and film. I don't know. It was all the things that made this perfect kind of recipe for me to go, I've got one life to live. What are the other things I want to do and discover? Mm. And that's when I, you know, I woke up and thought, I'm going to start this little business and I don't know. And that's because I was pregnant and I didn't, you know, I know many women work um, as an actress when they're pregnant. I just, um, I took a pause and I thought, okay, if I'm not working right now in this medium, what else can I do that fuels me creatively? And I thought all the things I was looking for in the marketplace, like, you know, organic underwear and like chemical free deodorant and all the things you start to only look for when you're pregnant which is also very odd that we don't like talk about that pre-pregnancy at all for women mm -hmm. it's like suddenly when you're pregnant there's an entire marketplace of products that are ready for you <laughs> <laughs> so I was like what can I find that's better for my body and when I couldn't find those things I decided to start creating them and creating them led me to launching the business and and then the business led me down its own sort of path and I realized wow there's like different levels of creativity for all people. For some, it might be standing on a stage. For some, it might be holding a paintbrush. And for some, it might be like QuickBooks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and 
I got like really creatively fueled by running and fully operating a business. I was like, ooh, I like spreadsheets. I like learning about, you know, pack and chip facilities and how to make FedEx labels and building product pages and learning Shopify and photographing everything for the website and writing all the copy for the website and designing all the pieces and sketching. And suddenly I had this whole world in front of me. I was like, wow, I'm like more, I feel more connected to art than ever. And it was not in like a, you know, in something I could have predicted. So that was my path to like motherhood and um, I guess following my, my life's path and intuition that led me to this huge change. That's the scariest thing ever. Leaving the only career you've ever known, especially as a woman, is one of the scariest things ever, especially a career where people are, it's a career where there's a lot of, why don't we say like, gratification for the ego Mm -hmm. and validation for the ego to leave that and it was the only thing I had ever known was like a very interesting leap you know all right guys we are a couple of tired mamas and all we do is crave a spa day and we deserve it We always end up putting ourselves down the very bottom of our to-do list. We jump from one activity to the next, and we're always meeting the needs of everyone else around us. I think it is time for a little self-pampering. This Mother's Day, make every day a spa day for all the moms in your life with Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. It's a value pack of two luxurious body care moisturizers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature, uplifting, all-natural citrusy scent. I think the greatest and most thoughtful gifts are the gifts that you actually like love yourself, something that you use on yourself. And I love using the Mega Moisture Duo. It makes my skin so glowy. It's like super hydrating, firming, smells amazing. When I give my kids a hug after a bath, they're like, you smell so good. (laughs) It is my absolute favorite gift and such a great gift for Mother's Day. Yes. Folding in self-care is a moment to practice mindfulness, it's self-love, it's compassion. And we all know if you run your battery flat, it's harder to recharge. A consistent body care routine promotes healthy, glowing skin and also supports your mental health. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOTHERDAYS at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOTHERDAYS for 10% off. All right, as you guys know, we are we are busy mums. We are dog mums, business mums, performance mums, school board mums. Life gets hectic. That's why we rely on our tried and tested go-tos to alleviate some of the chaos. NerdWallet helps you by maximizing your everyday spending, whether it's groceries for the week, drinks with friends, or a nice family meal. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. I mean, come on, guys. Think of all the cash back that you're going to get on those kombuchas, on those 
frozen pizzas. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today that future you will thank you for. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cashback? Uh, A silent meditation retreat in Peru, a sweat lodge in India, whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all credit cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I bet, um, I assume that you probably had a lot of people at that time also telling you that this is a big mistake. You yeah. leaving. Like, look at all the opportunities <laughs> that you're going to miss and all that. And that's really hard. And it's hard to have um, the people that you've sort of looked to as your representation or people that are around you or people in the business that you kind of look up to or maybe that have done some more movies than you that look to you at that moment. And I don't I don't know personally if this happened to you, but I would assume based on the business and what I know of it, that when you made that decision, there was probably a lot of people that were like, wait, what? No, you can't do that. Totally. And and that, you know, that's really hard, too, because that's with any job when you start to leave. And you're going, okay, here's my, this is my pivot. This is my moment. And you're going to have these like people that are going like, wait, what are you doing? Like, you can't rock the boat. Like you can't, you can't just leave the business. The business has to get rid of you. You can't leave it. You can't decide that you're making this choice. Right. And so, and then you do make the choice and you go, no, I'm doing something different. And this is what it is. And I think it's probably like the people look and go like, wait, what? Like how how could she possibly do that? But you did and you did something awesome. And the business that you're talking about is Bayou with Love. And for those listeners out there that don't know Bayou, can you tell us a little bit about your business, what it is, what you create, the sustainability behind it um, so that they – no, because this was birth to life like while you were pregnant and about to birth a baby. This all came together <laughs> at the same time. So we launched the company with multi-purpose apothecary because I um, was on this journey of figuring out health and wellness. And that kind of connected me to what I initially thought was just animal health. I thought, okay, When animals are healthy, we are healthy, which is absolutely true. But there was a huge component of that that I was missing at the time on my evolution to understanding true sustainability, which is the planet has to be a huge component in that too. Um, If one is out of balance, they're all out of balance. And so we initially launched the company with this um, vegan uh, sort of, I guess, pillar Um, which we can talk about why I transitioned away from just using that word um, if we want or not. But it was all centered around animal-free, cruelty-free products that were multi-purpose because I understood that, again, the marketplace was selling women a plethora of products as opposed to, which is just not very (laughs) beneficial to the planet, as opposed to a one-stop shop, like one product that could work for everything. So I was fascinated by the idea of like, 
how can we light a candle and we're told it smells beautiful but then it's toxic? If that candle's not toxic, what are we doing with the wax after? Why can't I use that wax to like make body lotion? Like why isn't there a beginning, middle, and end to every product that we have? So that was the original mission of the, the company. And then I started to realize that through the journey of finding all things cruelty-free, I was also not considering the amount of PVCs and plastics that were used. And I realized that the vegan industry, like every industry in the world, had been sort of monetized and exploited beyond. And so I stopped thinking about things that were vegan as being healthy and just started thinking about things that were truly beneficial to the planet and animals and people as being healthy. Mm -hmm. But Suffering from free. Suffering free, but the planet has to be a part of that. So if we're like mm -hmm. creating, you know, a bunch of vegan handbags, but they're all made out of plastic and PVC, what's that doing to the planet? That's right. So it became this right. whole like cyclical thing. So shortly after we launched the company, I was approached by Dell, tech company Dell, and they had, you know, they felt like I was really a voice in the sustainable arena, which was wonderful. And they had um, a lot of Michael Dell himself is like an incredibly, I and mean, he's obviously a genius, but incredibly conscious man and has been incorporating sustainability into their supply chain for decades before this was even like a sparkly word, you know. And um, they told me about all this gold that they had from uh, recycled computers that they didn't want to end up in landfills. So they were pulling computers apart, extracting things, metals, plastics, repurposing, and it was really genius. And they said, we feel like there's some type of collaboration here, cut to what then became the entire you know, life force behind Buy You With Love. Um, so our, our, our moment with multipurpose apothecary lasted for about five seconds, and the rest of the company's life has been creating sustainable jewelry through recycled gold, including gold from technology, and using diamonds that are grown with solar energy in California to create, um, you know, what I believe is the closest we can currently come to um, planet-friendly fashion and it's oh. become like this beautiful thing because I get to work with people in the happiest moments of their life which is very cool I didn't it was a totally unexpected bonus um, you know you're working with like brides and grooms all day long and so they're in the best moment of their life I guess apart from becoming a parent you know <laughs> this is like mm -hmm. this is the start of their journey and so it brings a lot of um, like really wonderful energy back to me too in that cyclical sense. So that's Bayou with Love. Um, and then through all of this with Bayou, it kind of opened up all these other avenues for um, you know other, uh, other areas. I'm the creative director of another company I'm, uh, called Loki Wear. Um, we create sustainable shoes. I'm also a photographer for Leica and... Um, I'm a marketing advisor and an, an investor in a clean medicine company, the first clean medicine company called Genexa. And I think the whole point of like, if there's anything I can say to the women and the mothers that are listening to this right now, it's that, you know, we put a lot of limitations on ourselves as women um, and, a, and a tremendous amount of pressure and expectation as well on what that's supposed to look like. And I have had the most unconventional past but a lot of um, determination, and um, it's never too late to start something new, you know, mm -hmm. even if it's uncomfortable. I completely agree with that. And I want to ask one question for, um, because I actually asked you this question 
years ago. Um, but because I think that growing diamonds with solar energy is such a thing that like most people haven't seen, don't know, and it it's hard to wrap your brain around what that is. Can you do me a favor? Because a few people have asked me this question. Um, <laughs> they've asked me, what's the difference between a CZ diamond and a grown mm. diamond? Yes. No, I love this question. Um, so they're, they're not even in the same category. They're completely different. It's like looking at glass versus plastic. Um, so traditionally mined diamonds and grown diamonds are molecularly identical. There's no difference except less harm to the planet um, through traditional mining operations um, versus growing. But CZs are not diamonds. So those are, they're not in the same category. Grown diamonds, um, so the diamonds come from pressurized carbon underground. Um, that's, that's really essentially the process of creating a diamond. And it can take millions of years, obviously, underground, which brings with it a tremendous amount of romance and, you know, mm -hmm. fairy tale and love and all of that. And it's beautiful. And I'm a huge advocate for traditionally mined diamonds as well. We give all of our customers the option to go with either. But... Um, the reason I gravitate towards grown diamonds is um, our grown diamonds, at least the ones we source in California, is because of the solar components, so um, renewable energy. They're, um, they're hydropowered and, um, and, you know, like all industries, <laughs> this is kind of back to my point about the vegan industry, you can take something with wonderful intention and then totally exploit it. That's what, that is what has happened in the grown diamond industry. So grown diamonds in general, like lab diamonds, grown diamonds, I don't just endorse and embrace um, all grown diamonds. I think that the industry is actually quite harmful as a whole, um, using a lot of, you know, coal power and and things like that. So we took something that had a really wonderful idea and we figured out a way to exploit it and monetize it as human beings like we do with almost everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, the diamonds we use are really specific, only grown in California with solar energy. And um, I think that depending on the mining operation, and that's what I work on within my company, is just transparency in the supply chain. If you can trace it back to the hands that have touched, mined, you know, um, cut, polished, if you can find the hands of the person working on that stone, you're already more connected to the entire process um, and bringing the money back to the workers and laborers and artisans and makers themselves. And that's my whole goal with Bayou is just to cut out the middleman. So I do work directly with family-owned mines around the world as well. I'm just specific about the region and where we source. Mm -hmm. But we can talk about – I can. <laughs> that's like a whole other – I love it. I went down – I love it. A rabbit no, hole. I love that passion and it's it's so informative for people. I mean, so many people, even like me, I'm like, wow, I had no idea. I'm learning. <laughs> this is so brilliant. Um, and what I love about you, and I think when I when I first met you that day at Cafe Gratitude, we really we had a longing to meet each other and we we mm. met each other. We had a double date a number of years back. And um I you're such a deeply soulful, intuitive individual and I'm so inspired by that I wanted to ask you a little bit about how that shows up for you in your mothering and I know especially the past couple of years um, you really tapped into that intuitive side when it came to your health 
And were you able to speak to that in any way? If I've learned anything over the last few years, it is that our bodies don't lie. (laughs) And when we don't listen or when we refuse to acknowledge that there's something happening, um, it gets louder and louder and louder. And we store our trauma in our bodies. We store our emotions in our bodies. We store our pain in our bodies. Um, And after having a child, I noticed the body really wants to survive, right? So that's why women can do these incredible things with our bodies. And we can even grow human beings when our bodies aren't even healthy themselves, let's say, because we have this ability as women to literally suck out every last good bit of our own bodies to make sure that this new life has that ability to grow and nourish, you know, be nourished by us. But at a certain point, and especially after having a kid, I started to watch my own body really deteriorate. And it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't just (laughs) having a child um, that did that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just noticed that it started me down this path of like, you can only ignore your own body for so long. You can only ignore your own health and your own well-being for so long until it starts to get really loud. And, um, you know, there's a reason why, um, you know, autoimmune rates in women our age in particular um, are so astronomically high. It's because there's something really specific that happens to women between 30 and 40, I think, where you're no longer a child and you have a tremendous amount of... um, you know, let's say being pulled in a million directions between work and, and, you know, many of us having children. And your body, um, your body can't sustain that unless you really take care of it. So that's what's happened to me and my, (laughs) my evolution with that is like realizing I had to start really taking care of myself, um, and paying attention to the signs in my body that, um, something wasn't feeling quite right. Um, there's a really beautiful book called The Body Keeps Score. If anybody um, wants to pick up a a super light read. (laughs) 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 That's what I'm all about, the super light reads. Um, The Body Keeps Score, and it really sort of breaks down, like in a biological sense, how and where and why we store different levels of trauma. And trauma doesn't always mean that you know, like the obvious sense of the word, it's from our upbringing, it's from, let's say, our parents or our siblings or how we grew up, where we grew up. Um, it can be from an early on relationship. It can be from a work experience. It can be from anything. It can be from a birth experience. It can be from anything. But it lives in our body and manifests in ways we, we can't even imagine. And so I think it's just such an important thing for everybody to read, but particularly women. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you touched upon with trauma is it's, you know, the childhood trauma, zero to 17, when we are faced with what we call our big T's and our little T's, our little traumas, which might not be such evident trauma. It might be, you know, something happened to you at school and the teacher yelled at you and you like went internal and that stored itself somewhere within the body. At some point, if you're not taking a look and unpacking that trauma, it manifests itself in some way. Um, and so we, we do a lot of trauma work in our, in our family because of my husband's, um, upbringing and gosh, it's such a beautiful way to get closer to self. 
uh, it's one of my favorite things is to sit with my husband and we'll just start taking a look at it, like really being these very vulnerable, open people who are willing to take that personal inventory and, and see where it's coming up and how it's affecting us in our communications with each other. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, your dynamic, your family dynamic. Are you raising your daughter to be really open with her communication and her uh, really developing that sense of self and following that intuition? I only laugh because she's probably the most communicative. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> so Sometimes yes, <laughs> she says things, and I'm like, I'm sorry. What did you? What did your four year old self just say? I just yeah. Did you just school me on that? <laughs> she yeah. says these really profound things um, all the time. Sorry, that made me giggle. Um, that you know, only a child can do, right? Like they hold up this mirror that as yeah. adults we can like hide from all these things for so long. And it doesn't have to be things that you're even aware that you're hiding from, right? It can just be a pattern that you have or like mm -hmm. a morning routine or a thing. And suddenly they just have this way of like calling you out in the exact moment, exactly what's going on. I mean, I guess depending on the child, but my daughter certainly does. Like she's very aware of everything that's happening all the time. And she'll just she'll let me know, you know, <laughs> or I'll say something and she'll say like, <laughs> you know, because we talk a lot about, um, she's, she's a girl, but she's also little for her age. And so we've spent a lot of time talking about like being aware of your body. And if you don't want somebody in your personal space and your body, and if you don't want somebody holding you or picking you up, because a lot of people want to like touch her and hold her and carry her. And, um, and so she's very good about communicating that now. And it's very funny. Like I see um, at school, it's wonderful. And there's a lot of things that are said like, hey, this is my space right now, or this is my body and I don't want you holding me. And I'm like, wow, really well said. But then it like comes back home <laughs> and I'll like say, okay, it's bath time. And I'll pick her up and put her, mom, you're not, I don't want you touching my body right now. I don't want to take a bath. And I'm like, ooh, that really came back to, <laughs> you know, really communicates all yeah. the boundaries with me, you know? And I'm like, mm, oh, does wow. that work right there? You know, <laughs> oh, you get gosh. to tell me that we're not taking a bath. I guess, I guess you do. But let's talk about that. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of communication in this household for sure. I love hearing that story about um, Bodhi because I I know that she's so good at at holding you accountable, and she's also so great at holding all of us accountable. Like she's just so good at communication, and my kids love um, talking to her. That's how we operate as a family too. So when they bring up these questions, these like little four and five year olds, and they say these things to us, and we're just like, "Wait, what?" Now I have to like look at myself and make sure I'm paying attention to what I'm saying. Um, so I love hearing this whole story about your own personal health journey and the way that you trusted your intuition. And I think it's really hard after you have a baby, you have a lot of things that come up. There's like postpartum depletion. And, you know, if we're not getting enough nutrients ourselves, then we start to like not feel well. But what you said is so true is that your body is really speaking to you. And, um, and I think that that carries over into motherhood. Now you have this baby and um, trusting the intuition that you have with your baby or your child and what's going on with their health and what 
things that you're seeing, right? Like the body is speaking to you as the mom, their body. And so, you know, how do you, how is, how does that manifest itself with you as a mother and understanding and trusting this intuition that you have? But also like, you know, I, I, when I had my son, as soon as I had him and he had a fever, like a few days later, I was so scared that I'm calling my doctor. It's 103. Like, what do I do? And, you know, freaking out. And so how is it? Tell us a little bit about how you do that. How do you, you know, trust that intuition and the health of your child? Well, our babies are like really extensions of our own body, you know, um, at least for a little while they are, whether that's like some like metaphorical thing where there's like real fact to that. I just know that there's like a connection you have to knowing and understanding what's going on that nobody else will. And, you know, we're told, which is like a fundamental, um, I wouldn't say issue, but like, um, well, let's just start with issue and then I can sort of correct myself later. But like one of the, one of the fundamental issues in how we approach health and wellness, um, in our culture, in this culture that we all live in here in this country with our healthcare system and everything connected to that is that we don't really teach people to like take their health into their own hands. And that trickles down into, I would say like how we talk to mothers about knowing, you know, what's happening with their babies and beyond. Um, so it's really, for me, I think like the, it starts with like educating ourselves, um, you know, early on to feel like we're connected to our bodies and our babies. So we can make decisions based on our like inner knowing will <laughs> instead of relying so strongly on the healthcare system to just tell us what to do because you know the truth is that system um you know still has a lot of um it's a, it's a constant unfolding of information which is what science is and medicine is it's a constant learning and unfolding and there is something inherently built into being a parent, but specifically a mother that we don't really teach women to like hold on to and embrace, which is, you know, things you just do. And you might not know exactly what they mean, but you know, a feeling or, you know, what's right or what's wrong. And we teach everybody to live in the space of just fear and then relying solely on information from a system. And the best doctors I've ever worked with and ever known in my life, which I have like a deep connection to um, health and the healthcare industry, we can talk about that another time, but the best doctors I know are the ones that sit there and say, so why don't you tell me first what you think? And that, the type of pediatrician that I have found, the, the doctors that I now, now surround myself with, and so early on, even with my daughter, you know, there were things that happened and I relied solely on fear instead of my knowing, um, you know, uh, an early on misdiagnosis that turned into, um, you know, a procedure that didn't need to happen that turned into a whole host of other health consequences that came as a result of that. And, you know, watching that spiral and it took me a long time to even find a doctor, a pediatrician that would really, um, guide me and guide and like sort of be the captain of the ship alongside me sort of like what are you thinking and feeling and I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking and feeling and we're going to combine that knowledge together we don't honor mothers like that in this in in our culture specifically there are many cultures around the world that do uh, but we don't so 
that was a huge lesson for me. And it really inspired me along with some health stuff that I had, had been experiencing a few years ago. It really inspired me to start to dive into, you know, into medicine and like become my own encyclopedia. It's so funny because Nikki, I come to you and I know that Sarah does as well. Um, I don't think I've ever met anyone more educated in this field because you take a look at all scenarios, all sides. And that's what I really appreciate with you. You'll get, you know, I know you've gone through a series of different doctors and you've spoken to so many people, but you're one of those gatherers of information (laughs) and you have a whole smorgasbord. Yeah, you do so much research. So much research. How do you, how do you even find the time to research? I'm sitting here thinking, I want to I want to do this. I want to look into all these different things. She does it late at night. You stay up what, so is that, late. Do you just not sleep? You know, I do sleep. <laughs> I put it in when I can, where I can. It's true. I'm a late night researcher and I didn't used to be like my ideal bedtime is 930. So for me to stay up until 1230 researching, you must know that there's like a deep passion fueling that. I love knowledge and information. I love, like, my dreamy night is reading medical journals. I love reading. Ooh, spicy. <laughs> Hot date over here. I love reading and, um, like, connecting with bits of information that start to click in my brain to make things make sense if that if that resonates at all with anyone. Because there's just, like, such a lack of information. I mean, I'm sure in the same way you girls have probably spent – like countless nights staying up late. Once you realized so much about the birthing industry and how women were, you know, taken advantage of and not, you know, armed with all of their, you know, all options and possibilities and, and knowledge and not like embraced in that way. I'm sure you guys spent many nights up together or separate reading and researching to inform yourself so you could make the best decisions possible. And you've parlayed it into, you know, all of this in a paralleled way. I stay up reading about environmental toxins and about how, you know, children are uh, diagnosed as like put on some type of spectrum, but we don't even know what that means. And what is PANS and what is PANDAS and what is brain inflammation and how is the gut connected to the brain? And, you know, how, like, what is our, how does our neurological system work? And how, why do children, why are some children born with anxiety and some are not? And why are some children born you know, with like a full body inflammatory response and some aren't and what's happening in our homes and in our products. And, you know, that's the stuff that like really gets me going because we can't deny the fact that like pediatric cancer rates are exponentially higher than they were even one, one decade ago, you know, let alone four decades ago. And, you know, there's got to be a connection to like the life that we currently live um, to disease and, you know, mental and physical health ailments that we're seeing in every age range. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. So my grandfather, um, was a doctor. He passed away a few years ago, but, uh, he was a really, really well-known, really respected doctor. And, um, I just, my, my one wish is that I was he was alive when I was at this age now because I just feel like I have so many things and so many questions I want to ask, especially like this pandemic and you know everything with my daughter. And um, but I just the one thing he always encouraged was for doctors to sit. Um, he wrote this like beautiful um paper and I was reading it uh recently about how 
doctors don't spend enough time sitting at the bedside of their patients. And I just found that so fascinating because it's true, like in a literal sense, but also in a metaphorical sense. We're so, you know, like buried in our own, with our own tunnel vision, looking at our one specific thing and not looking at how interconnected all medicine should be and health should be. And even the way doctors are trained, like doctors are trained to look at their field and not see how that crosses over with another, but yet every part of our body crosses over with another. How do you have, you know, how can you be like a women's doctor and and not understand pediatrics? And of course they're two different fields, but like these are very deeply connected fields. I feel this passion. Yeah. You know, I, I always say, um, to, to people that, um, you are your own best and biggest advocate when it comes to healthcare because, you know, when it's like your own healthcare, your healthcare of your, um, you know, what's going on with your pregnancy, like empowering and informing and understanding like what all of your options are. Um, but I really, really understood that and, and started to see that play out in our lives when my dad was sick. And so understanding that like he, I always wanted to push him to advocate more for himself or like push my mom to advocate more. You know, it's like, no, ask questions. Why are they putting you on this medication? Like, what is it that this is doing for your body? Okay, is that just like a temporary solution or is that a long-term solution? And, you know, what are the effects that you're going to see from that? And is it good for you to do that when you have all these inflammatory issues in your body? And so it's hard because I think that the generation right before us was definitely a generation that did everything that their doctor told them and just listened and and went to follow those um, steps towards what they were told was going to help them with their health, right? I would have a sniffle and I would have a Z-Pack in my hand five seconds later. You know? <laughs> I took so many Z-Packs as a kid and um, that is something that I think affected my gut biome for a very long time mm. as a child. And I have an autoimmune, which is I'm celiac. So, you know, there's it's I'm not saying that those things are directly correlated, but I do see that there's so much medicine that we're given or so many like small fixes for things that not aren't necessarily a fix. And yeah. so my biggest thing to people, and I think this is also something that you're saying about yourself and what you tell people as well is, ask questions and try to understand like what it is, uh, you know, that you're being given or, you know, with birth, the same with the birth world and with your own children, with your own health. But asking questions is so important and advocating for, you know what, this doesn't feel right. I don't think that's the right decision. Maybe I get a second opinion or can you, can we go further down this road and try to understand? Absolutely. I mean, medicine is so powerful and we're so lucky. And I know you guys talk about that a lot too just the importance of like the role the hospital plays in a birth should you need it or you know emergency c-sections should you need it and medicine is really powerful and we are where we are thank god because of science and medicine but there's also a time and a place to recognize when it is or isn't needed you know and that's something that you speak a lot about in your book um and pregnancy journey and um i think the best doctors actually recognize that um you know medicine is not necessarily meant to heal it's meant to fix and so i think the question that i always ask myself is do i need healing right now like is this part of a journey 
or do I need a fix because I'm in an emergency? And when you know the difference, you know how to utilize them properly. I mean, antibiotics are yeah. a godsend. They save lives every day. Do they also cause problems when they're overused? Absolutely. Do we know when they should and shouldn't be used? I don't know if we always do. I think that they're like an easy um, toss around as like a sort of fallback plan for a lot of things. I mean, typically when you go into the hospital, even, you know, well, now it's a funny time to talk about this because this is not connected to any type of COVID thing whatsoever. I was just saying that as a fallback plan, when you go into the hospital, a lot of times they do administer antibiotics, even if it's not necessarily the right path, just as a backup plan for what if you get an infection. Um, I know, you know, anybody who's listening to this who's a who had a DNC or, you know, had to have, you know, has had a miscarriage and had to have an operation because of that. It's a preemptive pack of antibiotics just in case you get an infection. And those things are all very, very important. I'm not saying you don't take them. You absolutely can and should do, you know, what feels right for your body and what the doctor says, as long as you also feel like you've researched um, alternatives that could, that could work as well, you know, and then you make an informed decision. We don't give people knowledge so they can't make an informed decision on, you know, what's right for their bodies. And we see that a lot with pregnancy and birth, I would say. Well, Nikki, you are oh an gosh. a well of wisdom. I know. I feel, I feel like, like we could talk could to you. I sit here and listen. <laughs> yeah, I could listen to this all day. I'm like, please tell me more while I take notes. <laughs> I know. We didn't even get to talk about like your Instagram and all the farm animals I see all the time and like wondering, are you living on a farm somewhere and raising your child? I mean, we'll get to that in our second podcast with in Nikki. Because, with yeah, in part two. Yeah, in part two. But with this one today, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are so grateful to have you on here and just to be able to tap in and, you know, understand like where you're coming from and what your journey is. And we personally go to you for so many things. So it's nice to be able to like give our audience a, a taste of what that is for us. Yes. And thank you for being one of our very first guests. You were the first person that we thought of. So, so nice to have had you today and we can't wait to give you cuddles in person. I know we love you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry we had some technical problems in there. I hope it wasn't too. No, it's so all so good. You have been listening to The Mother Days. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>